show is brought to you by noble knight games where out of print is available again and listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon store hi this is brian r james the better james brother and you're listening to the tome welcome to the tome a DD news reviews and interview show and i'm your tome host jeff greiner and I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 207, it's time to break out the minis and maps and put away our dice as we look at Dungeon Command. And joining us for this episode is John Green and Tom McCambly. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. Hey, yeah, thanks for letting us come on. I'll try not to ruin it. <laughs> Excellent. And we do have... <laughs> and, and, and we've got two... I make no promises. <laughs> You're both newcomers to the show, so I thought we would take a little bit of time to sort of get to know who you are and find out a little bit about um, Dungeon Command and, and, and your experiences with it. So, uh, John, let's start with you. Uh, who are you, and uh, what's your Dungeon Command experience look like? Um... Let's see, I, uh, I'm nobody really famous. Uh, my gaming credits include, uh, I did a little bit of work on Ashes uh, of Athos, uh, working with Teos, and I've got uh, some DDI articles in the pipeline. Uh, my experience with Dungeon Command, I picked them up when they first came out, just looking for some miniatures, and then I found out I really enjoyed it, so I played it a lot at Gen Con, and then uh, a few more rounds over the last, uh, over the last week or so. Great. Uh, and Tom, who are you, and uh, how much Dungeon Command have you played? Well, um, I'm a rank-and-file gamer. I've been in the hobby for about 30 years now. Um, and I came into Dungeon Command as I'm basically, for Ottawa, I do uh, demos for Dungeon Command at my local gaming store, and I run encounters. So I was sort of the one tapped to see what I could do about the game, and I discovered I actually quite like it. Uh, it's a great little game for... Uh, miniature play and without the randomness of die rolls and some other miniature plays it really is a bit of a tactical game excellent it's time to talk about dungeon command let's start off and and, um, tom you were starting to tell us a little bit about what the game was so why don't you continue what what is dungeon command well dungeon command is a game of miniature skirmish action Basically, the game sets its battle either in a dungeon or in a open outdoor area, and you construct a small skirmish army and a deck of cards that represent the abilities of your army, and you select a commander. Uh, there are two commanders for every faction box that they produced, and you select the commander, your army, your cards, and then you get an opponent and you fight. Excellent, and and you uh, you've talked several times in that introduction about um, the construction element of the game, and that's interesting because I didn't actually 
I've played it several times now and have never actually constructed anything. I've just played the the boxes as they were sold. That's true, and I I have to say I haven't actually constructed an army yet either. I tend to play just the very the the armies that come with the game. Uh, I tend to favor the drow myself, and uh, I usually use one of these one of the factions in there. And one of the commanders, and that's usually what I play with when I'm is showing the game or playing with my friends. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, and John, have you done any construction? Uh, I haven't gotten to play with any any full constructed sets. Um, I just spent some time uh, before the show looking through the uh, the latest uh, Curse of Un- Undeath pack, and I had some ideas for okay, I can take some of these cards, and I can mm-hmm. take some of the ones from the original Heroes set. And make something. So I've got a deck that I'm. It's in the process of being built, but I have not had the chance to, you know, play a full deck that I've customized versus someone one that someone else has. But I'm very eager to try it. Yeah, I, de- I definitely noticed. I was playing it last weekend um, in prep- preparation for this uh, review uh, with my regular gaming group, and it was their first time playing it. At least a couple of them that I got to stay stay late after the game and, and play a little a uh, couple of games. Um, and I noticed very quickly that I was playing the the Heart of Cormier, um uh, set and it became a very abundantly clear to me that there are not enough dexterity based command cards in that in that deck or at least I wasn't getting any of them you know it was one of those situations where well almost all of my 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 you know units are dexterity based and I don't have they're all and all my cards are strength based like and you know you realize that I if I had constructed a deck I'd be much better off right now yeah, and the Drow deck is good for dexterity-based armies. So if if you're going to construct a deck, you might want to have a look at the cards that are in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and and I understand as I understand it, some of the later decks or some of the later sets, the Tyranny of Goblins, and now uh, Curse of the Undeath, and and coming up uh, later on uh, in a few months, they have uh, what is it? Eye of Grumshire. Yeah. It will be a constructed orc set. The orc set, right? And so those, and I think those have some of the cards that hit some of the stats that are on the units, but d- don't exist on any of the other cards. Some of the more, um, um, like charisma and, and wisdom based sort yeah. of things. Yeah, the uh, the curse of undeath set hits really hard on charisma and constitution, whereas the uh, the tyranny of goblins there's uh, there's some constitution uh, for things like the hobgoblins. And uh, and the trolls, but there's also a fair amount of decks. Yeah. So Which, there's they're slowly introducing more and more of the, uh, I guess, more obscure stats. Although that's not really the best way to describe sure. it. Sure. The, the, the but le- they're slowly fleshing everything out. All right. The lesser um, supported stats early on in the in the game. Yeah. 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 And I find it ironic that the um, that the place to get charisma and con is from the undeath set, which in in some previous <laughs> editions, undead didn't even have a con score. Uh, and undead generally, with a few exceptions, aren't considered to be very charismatic. Right. It's just a, an irony of the way the mechanics played out, I think. Yeah. I'm, I am eagerly awaiting the curse of undeath around here. Unfortunately, we, we, we haven't gotten it yet, and I so want to see this. Mm. Undead have always been my, one of my favorite tropes in fantasy, and I want to see what it's like in the game. But... Uh, if you got any other information about it, I'd be glad to hear it. Um, it just, uh, I do. It'll, 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 it'll just came out, right? When compared to, I think the other uh, the other three sets. So if we want to go, if we want to go through a quick run through of, kind of the general theme of the four sets that are out so far, and kind of show like how each one brings this slightly new element to the game. Go for it. Then I think that 
that's a good point to uh, show how the undead do it differently. So let's do that. Um, let's go through each of the four sets. The first one um, that we'll talk about is, is the Heart of Cormir, although it came out simultaneously with the, uh, what is it, the Scourge of Loth? Is that what it's called? I think it was Sting, the Sting of Loth. Sting of Loth. Sting of Loth. So Heart of Cormir, what's, somebody tell me what that one's about. Do you want to take that one, Jeff? I can. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I meant John. John. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So, um, the uh, the heart of Cormier, that's meant to be the very basic. Like these are these are heroes. Um, it seems that for each of these sets, there's uh, there's kind of two aspects. There's okay, what you know, in gameplay terms for the actual Dungeon Command game, what are you getting? And then if you're just in it for the miniatures, what are you getting? So uh, the heart of Cormier, it's definitely the heroes. You've got dwarves and elves. And halfling thieves and knights and copper dragons. Um, so it's definitely these are, this is the official good guy set. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, it tends to focus on a lot more things like there's a lot of healing cards in it. Uh, there's a lot more uh, defensive cards. Uh, you have, you have al- certain units that will help protect their other allies, which you don't see nearly as often in, uh, in some of the later sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I even ran into one card. Uh, I was playing that set this last weekend, and I ran into one card that was effectively uh, gain a level and become an adventurer. Yeah, and adventure, is that something you really won't see in any of the other sets so far? Mm-hmm. Well, if we want to tackle the Drow next, the Sting Loth is, again, split up amongst... Um, standard uh, the standard drow troopers you'd think you'd see. You have a um, basically a matron mother figure, uh, some drow warriors, um, demon web spiders, um, a fairly um, large spider, uh, drider, and uh, probably one of the best figures in the set I think is the umber hulk, just because I tend to like the big massive creatures I have, have burrowing. Being able to- the Amber Hulk is worth buying the whole set for if you're a yeah. It's fantastic. As far as the card play goes, I tend to find, well, I guess it's not really surprising. It tends to be a lot more sneaky. <laughs> uh, it tends to have very sort of quick move, attack, fade. Uh, sometimes it will allow you to do, um, uh, it will be a minor to do a quick attack, and then suddenly you can draw a card. You you gain more order cards. Mm-hmm. It basically sort of allows you to start playing around in on the battlefield with a few elements that you know your opponent won't have access to if you're playing a standard fielded army. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that um, the, the guy playing the Drow army actually won. We did a three-way free-for-all. Um, and won the game because while myself and the guy playing the the goblins were sort of battling it out, he with the drow was was able to sort of hop around the battlefield and not even you know take much risk and gather up all the treasure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, <laughs> actually, that's a fairly important um, thing we should probably talk about mm-hmm. um, the game mechanic of morale and well what treasure does in the game for it mm-hmm. because it is. In in a lot of ways, morale is what keeps you in the fight, and once you finally lose morale, the game's over. Yeah, Mor- morale is sort of the the way you keep score in the game. It, it doesn't have much other mechanic other than um, when you lose units, you lose morale. When you gain treasure, you gain morale, and uh, the person with and, the most morale wins. Yes, uh, but don't forget about cowering because that's also a use that oh. can also be useful in the combat. Um, Let's say you have a figure that's about to take some damage from another figure. 
um, the rules allow you to as a power, meaning you're shrinking from combat and you are basically trading um, 10 hit points of damage for one morale. So it allows you to keep a figure in play at the cost of overall morale for your group. And some, in some cases, it could, this can be quite useful. I won a game on the weekend, mainly because I was able to keep a Drow Warrior in play after taking several turns of really punishing attacks just because I actually had a deeper morale level than my opponent did mm -hmm. and kept this figure in play long enough that he was able to tie up other people in play and take his figures out. Right on. It's an interesting strategy. Yeah, it's one – I mean most of the times that I've played, everybody avoids the, the cower because that morale is so important. You're just really hesitant to give it up. But if you, if you do at just the right time, it can, it can make a big difference. It can. Uh, the other set that, that came out then a couple months ago um, that we haven't talked about is the Tyranny of Goblins set. Yeah, let's say um, – again, it, it's a neat little set just because it brings a slightly different, uh, different strategy. It's got, all the, it's got the characters that you would expect in a, uh, in a set of goblins. You've got goblins. You've got goblins riding wolves. You've got bugbears, bug hobgoblins, and, uh, and then two really nice figures, a, uh, oh, yeah. a horned uh, devil and, uh, and a troll. And they're beautiful, beautiful minis, if you're, again, if you're just in it for the minis. But the, uh, the goblin tactics seem to, and the cards seem to focus a lot more on swarming your enemy. Uh, you can send a wolf in there that will you know, knock an enemy prone, and then your uh, little goblin archers or goblin cutters can come in and they do more damage when someone is. I'm sorry, it's tapped. I'm confusing my terms. But um, so there's there's a lot more uh, focus on. You've got a lot of low hit point creatures that probably do decent damage, but whenever they all work together, they can do they can be very effective. Mm -hmm. uh, which is what you expect from goblins: is these little bitty things swarming over these larger creatures. Yeah. One of my favorite things from the goblin set is they actually have um, a degradable force. The um, goblin rider. There's a goblin mounted on wolf back, and that's the figure you play with, and he has a certain set value. At the end of its life, uh, of its lifetime, once it dies, you can then choose to degrade it to either, I believe, a goblin cutter or a wolf. So this figure still has added life in the game, past its initial um, usefulness in the game. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My my only complaint on this set is that if I were to buy, if I'm buying this because I want a box of goblins for my my non dungeon command game, there's actually not a ton of goblins in it. You know, if I if I if I'm going into and I'm playing a game where there's we're going into a dungeon that's full of goblins, um, I'm I'm going to need a couple of these sets to fill out my goblin army. Five out of the twelve sets are actually creatures are goblins, um, and that's uh, that's a ratio that runs pretty strongly. I'd say you know five or six out of all the drow sets are actual drow. The rest are yep. spiders or umbrahols. I'd agree, and I think that's that's. That's a strength in the dungeon command setup, and a weakness if you're buying those sets as just for miniatures in D and D. Yeah, um, I'm afraid it, if you're if you're going for pure mini for pure minis, then you're probably better off buying the minis themselves separately somewhere else rather than getting them in the set. Although but that's only if you're chasing large. You know, drow armies or right. goblin armies, right? Because because uh, sometimes you want a copper dragon or or a troll, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I found the harder Cormier set works pretty well for me as a mini buy uh, for players uh, because it has so many different 
types of uh, creatures in it and the common archetypes in D and D. Right. And it's got lots of dwarves, and I like dwarves. Yeah. And they're it's all purple, a- so they all know that they're together. <laughs> they're our team. Uh, and I, oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say I, re- I really like the the dwarven cleric figure in it. Oh, yeah. It's probably one of my favorites in that set. Yeah. Well, it was great because I I went to a convention recently, uh, Carnage Con, and I ran some games, and all I did was pull out the the figures from the Heart of Cornmere set, throw them in a bag, and like. Here you go, because I don't I don't really own that many minis, so it was great having something for the players. Awesome. And uh, John, I know you just talked about the uh, Goblin set, but I think you're the only one that owns the the Curse of Undeath set, so you'll have to talk about that one too. <laughs> I've owned it for about an hour and a half now, so the, these are just <laughs> yeah. my first impressions. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I noticed is that while the goblin tactic is to you know swarm over everything, it seems that for this it's almost the opposite where you've got a lot of creatures that can go in and if, if they get swarmed then they can hurt everyone around them mm. either by sucking life or you've got uh, this really nice uh, form skeleton figure that attacks all adjacent creatures um, the one thing in the Curse of Undeath set that I hadn't seen in any other so far is there's a lot more playing with morale. Like you can spend morale to bring undead creatures back from the grave, and they can keep on fighting. They've got um, they've got some of their command cards that you can use to gain morale or take morale away from your opponents, which isn't something you really see in any of the other sets. So there's a lot more of this flavor of like you know the lich that sucks the life out of someone else, or you know spending energy to you know, raise fallen creatures back from the dead even after they've been defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the uh, like the goblin set, there is a there's a mounted skeletal warrior that if it dies you can uh, you can put just a regular skeleton there in its place that's awesome it sounds like they're getting a lot more complex with that set but in interesting ways uh yes yeah, really starting to show uh the depth and stretch out the game there's uh, you know there's new terms there's a ghost that has something called phasing which wasn't in uh, in any of the decks so far mm-hmm. so um it's very obvious that as they're getting more comfortable with this they're taking more risks trying new things uh, adding some depth to the game, which I really like. I like the way that they're sort of building up their own, each of the armies have their own little milieu and are able to interact with the rules on their own basis. And it's fun seeing how you have to strategize against each of the different races because of the strengths and weaknesses that they bring to the game. You know, um, I, if I build a small little drow army and if I'm going up against goblins you know i have to expect that it's going to be a lot of little guys coming at me very quickly and i have to be able to you know be able to handle that in the fight and i like what i'm hearing about the undeath mm-hmm. so go ahead well i was gonna say you guys were talking before about uh building your armies so you can mix and match the armies too it sounds like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you think that adds uh, a bit of depth to the game so so each set has uh as we were just talking about, has its own special thing. So for for somebody relatively new, that's probably a lot easier to pick up and to start understand how that particular mechanic works, and then you can branch out to the additional sets. And then it feels like you can go even deeper by building your own armies together and mix and matching. Does that sound about right? Yeah, uh, no, that sounds right. Definitely. I'm, I'm not a big Magic player, but the way I see my understanding of it, it's very similar to Magic. You can go out, you can buy a starter set, and you can play, and things will 
great and you can have fun but if you want to you know really compete competitively and as you start getting more and more into it you start building your own decks right and that's, um, I, that's know, how i sort of felt sets. yeah that's how i sort of felt and i feel like if the game catches on and if it becomes very popular and your community is very active and there's a lot of people um playing the uh dungeon command in your area that you can get together with i think there's a lot of value in that in the meantime for somebody like me if i'm just looking for a game that i can pull out to to kill a little bit of time at when a game finishes earlier while we're waiting for somebody to show up for for D D or whatever um you know i just own all the sets and it's easy just to sort of keep keep them together and you know who's going to play the drow who's going to play the the humans whatever and just split them up that way is it easy to figure out which cards go to which set i didn't really look at that uh yeah it's pretty easy all of the uh for every set there's a there's an icon that's that's associated with that set that so that just flipping through the cards you can say oh this goes with the goblin set this goes with the undeath set so it's very easy to uh, to sort it out and even the miniatures they all have their own sort of color like i think you mentioned earlier the heart of cormier there's there's a very strong purple theme for the goblins there's a very strong green theme uh for the undead there's a very strong i guess you would call this rotting flesh color i don't know (laughs) but um so even even visually you can just kind of look out over the board and say okay this goes there that goes there right Excellent. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add on that if you actually do play in any of the tournaments or in any of the organized demos at game stores, more often than not, they will have promo cards for you. Now, the promo cards right now are basically extra, sort of extra copies of cards that are already pre-existing in the set. But it does give you the ability to get some pretty good cards that are, you know extra to your deck for for example there's one for the drow that's a hidden passage mm-hmm. basically it allows you to move as if um intervening terrain didn't exist and that's an example of one of the promo cards you can get right you just walk through the wall right. pretty much um and then one of the things is when you guys were talking uh when we were talking before we started recording uh, one thing I heard at least two people mention was talking about the rules and maybe not knowing all of the rules while playing. And I was just wondering if you guys wanted to talk a little more about that. Yeah, and I, can, I that was one of my... Uh, the, the first time I sat down and played it, I was actually shocked at how 4th edition it, it plays in terms of the rules and, and all that. And, and my, my classic sort of go-to example of that is, did we really need it to be so complex that it has cover? You know, I, I was I was hoping for a little bit quicker, faster-paced... Um, Less complex uh, combat system for it, and, and it wasn't quite that. You know, it's a it's a fun system, and I, and I play fourth edition and, and enjoy that. But it was a lot more fourth edition than I expected. Oh yeah, I'd agree with that one hundred percent. Even to the point where we uh, last night when we were playing, we started getting confused. Like, okay, wait, is there is there flanking in this game? I, you know, right. just because the fourth edition rules and the dungeon command rules started really blurring together, <laughs> um, and I, I think they could have simplified it more. Um, my guess is that they're thinking more long-term, deep strategy game, hoping this will turn into something kind of like what magic is. Sure. Um, but yes, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I tend to, I'd have to agree with both of you on, on that. Um, there were some times in the game where I had to stop and think about whether or not the rule I was doing was either fourth ed or in the game it's, or part of Dungeon Command itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, beyond that, it I don't. I, th- I still feel the rule set itself is pretty robust, and it's fairly sim. And it's simple enough rules that you can grasp what you're doing as you're going through the four phases of of the game. But sometimes it's very helpful to have a quick reminder in the rule book handy as you're trying to look up about what. So, what exactly did scuttling mean again? 
Sure. And, and actually, I found it was actually very useful. Um, it, it, while it's good to have that book available to, to look up things if we needed to, because there, like there was a when we had to figure out how do opportunity tax basically work, you know, there's not opportunity tax, but when you're adjacent to somebody, it affects your speed and there's all, all that. And so we had to figure that out. And that was a big element of the gameplay in the last game I played. Uh, but then most of the time I just leave the book closed, but I use that back cover a lot. And just by having the four phases listed there um, with sort of a bullet list of, of what you do in each phase, I'm, I'm basically able to use that straightforward list and, and play through the game without having to open up the, the rule book very often. Yeah. We also found that when we play, there's it's you have to sort of remind yourself to look carefully at the card to see whether or not it was a minor standard or an intervent um intervention, you know, an interrupt. That was it. Immediate. Immediate, thank you. See. I don't even remember the terms <laughs> properly. <Absolutely. laughs> but it's being able to pay attention to what's on the card as you're playing because there's more I can remember one time I would say, Aha, I got you now. Say as a yeah, but you can't play that card right now. Oh there goes <laughs> yeah. that strategy. And I almost I almost feel like I wonder if Dungeon Command isn't a response to some of the criticisms to fourth edition. Well, this is just a card game or this is just a miniatures tactical game or whatever, you know, they say, Well, you know what you think it is? There. Now it is. <laughs> this Could is what it, and maybe as they move into next, assuming Dungeon Command continues on, then they've got this rule system they designed for fourth edition that ported over with some slight tweaks becomes a a good and functional and long-lasting tactical miniatures game you know maybe all those people that didn't want to play fourth edition because it was felt too tactical um will really enjoy dungeon command because that's that's exactly what it is well i guess there's logic to that and and uh, really i don't think i could argue against it (laughs) i'm i'm curious what your guys' experience has been with the speed of gameplay um now I've, I've only played a few times and both times uh, and all the times I've played it it's been with new players um, mm-hmm. and so I imagine that has impacted my my speed of gameplay a, a bit but I know when I was playing with uh, my three way free for all game last weekend um, it went a good hour and a half two hours uh, which was longer than I expected that was that I'd have to say that's about as long as my the game I play tend to go uh, generally there's it's usually around. I think about eight or ten turns. You or usually I find it, everybody has gone on about eight or ten times by the time you reach a point where morale has become very well tenuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say it's about right. Most of my with someone else who's played a few times, usually I'd say twenty or forty-five minutes for a uh, for a two-player game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, last night when I played, partially because I was. I was using some really jerky tactics, so the game lasted a long, long time because I just played as Drow and ran away. Mm. But um, and that, that like I said, it took about an hour and a half. But if if you and the people you're playing against are really with it, yeah, it's 45 minutes for a two-player game, and then say add another 15 to 20 minutes for every additional player. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, another thing is. With the Adventure Systems games, they've been kind of seen as a, a gateway game into D&D. Do you guys feel that this is also a, a game that will help bring people into the, the D&D RPG? Or uh, is it a little bit too different? or what? I think it's not a basic game to get into D&D. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'd have to put nod, nod towards Dungeon for that. Uh, sure. But 
but this game is if someone already is interested in playing um has tried some of the more basic games and has maybe tried a little bit of D&D and really likes the tactical aspects of D&D then Dungeon Command is a natural uh thing that they should be looking up next because it just it feeds all the same things that they get out of D&D tactical play. Mm. I would say this is probably more of a gateway of people who currently play D&D to like the Warhammer type, like the very heavy tactical games. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or vice versa. It could be something that if you're a miniatures gamer or a board gamer, this might be a gateway for you to check out the D&D mechanics and get used to that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Tracy mentioned, uh, you brought up the adventure system. Um, we should also point out that all of the Dungeon Command packs, they've got cards for all of the monsters that are in there. So you can take all of the monsters that are in the Dungeon Command and use them in the adventure system games, yeah. which is yeah, a really nice thing that, for Watsi to do. I mean, it's a handful of cards, but it, you know, it's nice that there's some crossover. And if you've been playing the adventure system games for a while, it's, you know, it adds a little bit of new flavor into it. But, it, but it, I struggle with that a little bit because on one hand, I, I appreciate that, you know, great, I can, there's multiple uses, right? I can buy this one set i can use it in my adventure system games i can use it in and play dungeon command i can use it in my D game there's lots of things i can do with this and at the same time my experience with the adventure system games is they run best when you're using one of the written scenarios and there's no scenarios that use any of these creatures so what am i supposed to <laughs> well, how am i supposed to use them well uh-huh. yeah <laughs> stumped you <laughs> I'm afraid, um, as far as the other Watsky board games are concerned, about the other only other thing I've ever played is Lords of Water. Absolutely no experience with the adventure games. Right. I, I've played uh, some of Castle Ravenloft and, and stuff like that before. Um, but I, I, I think this is the point where hopefully some people start writing scenarios that Absolutely. include the other thing. I think, I think there's been some people that have been doing that. But there needs to be just sort of a grand database and a wiki you know, of all the of all the different scenarios that people have written and, and tested out and what they've thought of them and all that kind of stuff, you know? I think that would be very helpful. And licensing, though. <laughs> <laughs> even, with, uh, even with these, my, uh, some friends and I have tossed around the idea of taking some of the existing miniatures that we have and saying, okay, could we... If I said, you know what, I really want to have a Far Realms-themed pack. Mm-hmm. If I go and I take my, my Aboleth and my Mind Flayer minis that I already own, could I write something in so they could play Dungeon Command? And, yeah, I think I definitely could. So... It's just a matter of me not being lazy. Sure. Well, and and then there's also the issue of balance, right? I mean, everything that they've got that Watsi puts out has been, you know, fairly thoroughly play tested and, and checked out and, and all that. You never know what you're going to break if you start making your own stuff. Mm-hmm. But at least you can just do it with your monsters and and continue and just make a new deck with the the, the command cards that, that you already have. Honestly, one almost one thing I was thinking of that I wouldn't mind seeing it is maybe something where you could get additional dungeon hazards or something like that popping up. I don't know. Sort of an unmanned faction that sits within the dungeon. Or a, a more you, dynamic uh, environment? Yeah, yeah. As you're fighting and then you roll on a random table and say, oh, look, a carrion crawler just showed up. Uh-oh, that could be trouble. <laughs> maybe you could like take the individual personalities of each of your minis and then like give them their own story and their own levels. Mm-hmm. I think we're on to something here. <laughs> Did we talk enough about the commanders? Because that's another aspect of play that probably deserves at least to have a have a look at. Yeah, I think that's fair. Sure. Let's talk about that. Tell me about the commanders. Well, for every faction <laughs> box that comes out, you get two commanders. 
it's um, I'm afraid I can't remember names and uh, other details than that. But each of the commanders tend to have very specific powers that is keyed to their faction and give them added abilities or extra abilities. Mm-hmm. The the one that I can remember there's a the female commander in the uh, Drow set allows you to. Uh, replace, if I remember correctly, yep. your speed is always two better for drow and spiders. So that means every drow figure and spider figure has a move two better than normal. Mm. This gets really interesting when you stop to consider that, as you were saying before, there's no area of attacks, but if you're up against a figure, you only have a speed of one as you move away from the figure. Except if you're playing with this commander your speed is two better. Mm. So you actually have a speed of three moving away from a figure. So they become very effective skirmishers. Oh, very effective. And, and, that, and that can be a big difference, right? I mean, depending on which commander you're playing, that affects mm-hmm. how, many, how many units you can get out at a time. That affects you know, what, where your starting morale is, how many cards you have in your hand, all those kinds of things. And so, um, and, and pl- not to mention the powers, which actually I find more often than not, the powers come out come up less often and it's more of just sort of the basics of well i have this many creature cards in my hand and i you know and i have this leadership score so i can bring out more units and that changes the the field of battle quite a bit you know now suddenly the horde of goblins is a horde of goblins because he has a huge leadership score and can bring out tons of creatures yeah i've been on the receiving end of that large horde of goblins (laughs) it's not fun yeah and and (laughs) i think it'd be i think it'd be fun if if someday, if if things continue on, if there were actually um, an optional mechanic to bring your commander into the battle, you know, if they put out little special mini- minis and you could have your commander actually go out into the field as well. Yeah, I have to admit that was one one of my head scratching moments when I was first learning to play. That the idea that this commander wasn't actually present on the battlefield. She, uh, you know, in the, the this commander is somehow barking out orders as you're playing, but she's not. A, she or he is not actually represented as a figure on mm-hmm. in play. Well, because that would add, that would add that would change the win mechanic. I think if the if the commander was on the field, because then then it's a matter of you know it becomes more like chess: capture the king, and, and the whole thing's over. Yeah, but that could make an interesting variant. No, absolutely. Mm. I think it, that's what I'm saying. I, I think I would like to play that variant game um, mm. as well. Plus, it's a, it's a way to get me a couple more minis. Yes. Watsi, are you taking notes? <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, so, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that that is one thing. I feel like there's a there's still a lot of growth with this game. I mean, yes, you've got the faction packs like, oh, here's a kobold one. Here's one of aberrations. Um, but then even adding things in like the, the commanders or you know terrain hazards, I feel like there's a very, very solid base with lots of room for expansion here, mm-hmm. which kind of makes me excited about it. And, and yeah. I think the trick's going to be, can the, this initial sort of five or six sets be successful enough for them to continue to invest in, in the line? And we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can only hope. And uh, any dividends we get from the game cross over to D&D because mm-hmm. I'm an inveterate mi- miniature collector and I love having minis even if I don't actually use them for play all the time. I like the collecting aspect of them, but I also like being able to drop a horde of 50 orcs in front of my players and say, here, this is what's on the battlefield in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right on. So, and I think that that ties into the sort of last question. Tracy, well, did, did you I had hit one that? more question. Yeah, well, I had one more question first. Because uh, you guys were talking about variants, and I saw that there's a, 
a variant for the quick start that allows you to play with just one set, and I was wondering if any of you had played that variant. Yeah, actually, that's pretty much the first game I played, and uh, I tend to try to play that way when I can. Um, each of the sets have are divided up usually between, I guess, what, golden, silver-colored uh, sets. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of naturally divide the set into two subsets. So you can use those right out of the box as a fighting army. And they t- they are balanced against any other subset you care to play. I find it's u- very useful, especially when you're teaching the game that say, "Oh well, here, pick which one you want. Here's your cards. Here are your um, creatures. Let's have a game." Mm-hmm. Right, and it also lets somebody uh, to start playing with a smaller initial investment than having to buy two sets. Because I I know I heard uh, online some talk about how expensive it was uh-huh. to, to start playing when, when it, you have to do two different sets. Yeah, mm-hmm. Especially if you're just trying to figure out if you like it or not. Right. That's, that's quite well, an investment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when you consider you have something, let's say, along the lines of a Skaven player for Warhammer uh, Battle. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> how many but, figures do I have to collect? But it's, good, but it's good to be able to at least get one set to test it out. And, and, and I guess in fairness, I sh- this is where I should probably disclose. Um, I've received the first three sets as review copies, and I haven't paid anything for them. So I'm coming at it from that, that angle as well. It's always good. <laughs> I mean, speaking from a price point, I would say the game itself, like the actual skirmish miniatures game, is worth the $40 retail price. Yeah. Um, if you're just after it for the miniatures... Um, I think if you go to Amazon via like, the Tome Amazon store, you can get it for about 25 bucks. And the miniatures here, they're really nice. You know what you're getting. So for 12 pre-painted miniatures, at least two of them are these nice, big, large miniatures. Honestly, the price is still worth it, especially if you compare it to the price of regular D&D minis or the Pathfinder minis. So even then, I'd still, still say the money's worth it. And if, yeah. you do, and if, you, if you're not an Amazon person and you want to support a local store... You can go to our other sponsor, uh, Noble Knight Games, and they're selling them for twenty nine bucks, which is still uh, a significant discount. And then you're supporting yeah. a local store too, mm-hmm. which we'll get to them in a bit um, because that's coming up next. But but we wanted to talk a little bit about um, and you're and you're covering this already now, um, Dungeon Command for non Dungeon Command players. Um, and you talked a little bit, you know, the value that's there for that. Um, now it it seems to come with a lot of extra stuff, and I'm I'm. Wondering if they couldn't have controlled the price a little bit more, if that wasn't there. You know, if there, if you weren't using the the tile, um, you know, mechanic to build up your environments. If you and we didn't even talk about that. Um, oh, that's true. If you, if you didn't come with all the tokens to, to represent all the little things, of course, maybe that was just an issue of hey, look, we know it's going to be this price point. Let's throw in these things that are pretty cheap for us to make to to build up the value. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure which direction that went. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, um, in general, I, you're getting, well, like we were saying before, you're getting a good deal for the price. And being able to use all these components for other things that, other than just the game are added bonuses for buying it. Uh, but I, I really don't know what else I could say to that, really. I don't know where that was going. And I know Tra- Tracy's already mentioned once that she's used the the Heart of Cormier set, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, yeah. My my only concern is I've got them all in their boxes right now, 
but if I'm going to organize them for for usefulness in my D and D game, I'm, I got to take them out of those boxes and put them in in my other organization system. And now suddenly they're not together in a set anymore, and I'm not sure if I'm ready to make that plunge. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, well I, they are marked with their faction, so you can pull them back out of the, out of uh, the general population if you need to. Yep. But yeah, you're right. It's that's the bane of miniatures collecting, <laughs> or, organizing them so that. So where exactly did I leave that ochre jelly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've been using the minis even from the adventure system sets too, because mm-hmm. that's that's my entire minis collection are the uh, adventure system sets and the two I got from Watsi for review. I was gonna say, so this is your first uh, real painted set. Yeah, pretty much. Awesome. Easy to find. It's very good. Um, actually, that is one other thing that should be pointed out. You talked about how all these pieces, a lot of these stuff can be reused. In addition to the cards that you could use for the adventure system, the tiles that come in Dungeon Command are also made so that they would fit with the uh, the adventure system tiles. So if you want to use these and the adventure system tiles, you can make a really nice large dungeon. Mm-hmm. And it would all fit together and it would look like it was like from one dungeon tile set. That's true. For reuse in regular D and D, I suppose it. I mean, they'll they'll make decent little dungeons, but I, I they definitely aren't Ideal. compatible with the standard tile sets that we use for D and D. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, any any last thoughts on Dungeon Command before we uh, go to our second sponsor? Well, um, all I can say is that it's it's a fun skirmish game that's fairly simple to pick up at a fairly good price. Uh, I find the games don't tend to repeat themselves, even though uh, you're playing pretty much the same factions over and over again in non-constructed ways. But it's a fun game. I always enjoy it and I always learn something new out of it. Awesome. And John, any last thoughts? Not much more than to just to reiterate what uh, what Tom said. Like originally, I was I think I said this at the beginning, but I initially bought these just because I wanted the minis, and I was really pleasantly surprised. So if you're kind of on the fence about it, I would say buy a couple of sets. Even if you hate the game, you've got a lot of good minis out of it, and I think you might be surprised at how fun it can be. You're here. Great. All right, before we talk to the folks over at Watsi about the game, let's take a quick break to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Our pick for this episode is Heart of Cormier, a Dungeon Command set full of heroes, elves, dwarves, a halfling, and a handful of humans, accented with an earth elemental guardian and a copper dragon. Useful set, if you play Dungeon Command or not. The Noble Knight price is $11 off regular at about $29. Check them out at noblenight.com and tell them the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. With a huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. Since you haven't been on the show before, I was thinking that we could open up just with a little bit of information about you, if you don't mind, like how you got in the gaming and and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm uh, Peter Lee. I've been at uh, Wizards of the Coast since about... 
uh, almost five years. It was uh, January of 2008 that I started. Um, so before that, in, in my previous life, I was a, uh, a computer programmer. I uh, worked on um, doing the front end for a database for a protein structure uh, determined uh, uh, a team of scientists trying to, to determine protein structures at the University of Wisconsin. Um, and while I was doing that, I was volunteering uh, running D&D Miniatures events uh, at Gen Con for about five years, and I, I got to know a lot of the guys here then, um, and they, they were looking for – I got hired. So that's how I sort of started into it. I, I was also doing some um, – writing for the website, both for D&D Miniatures and Star Wars Miniatures. Um, and, uh, when they were looking for someone to take some of the miniature pressure off Rob Heinzu, I, um, I uh, jumped at the chance. Um, so that's, that's sort of how Neat. I got started. So programmers unite. Yes. It's, uh, it's surprising how much of um, the Skills overlap, to be honest. Um, so one of the big things in programming is, is debugging and sitting there and, and trying out your program and stress testing it and, and so forth. And a lot of those skills uh, carry over quite well, where you definitely need sort of that, that um, logical thoroughness to, to test board games and, and so forth. Yeah, I have to admit, there have been times where I've been tempted to run through a simulation with the different mechanics to see how they're working out, but I haven't succumbed to it quite yet, but I've attempted. Yeah, I, I've wanted to do, um, like, simulations of, of mechanics to see exactly how good something is, um, but I, I just never quite have the time to put the work into um, into uh, sitting down and, and relearning how to write code because I haven't written anything in, in five years. But that's a little bit of weakness, right? Right. right. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the big things you've worked, worked on recently is Dungeon Command, hmm? and we were wondering if you and we were wondering if you could discuss a little bit of the design behind it, how the process worked, and you know why you went why you went baseless and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so the first thing. Um, it, it started uh, where we um, I started with the product idea of, of trying to come out with a, a miniature game that featured um, non-random miniatures. And we've done uh, miniatures uh, in, as part of the, the randomized product for uh, since, what, I think 2003, 2002? I don't remember exactly. 2003, I think. Um, and... So we had we'd supported uh, the market for allowing people to to get uh, the random miniatures, but uh, one of the the constant feedback we heard from that was we want the miniatures we want to get. So uh, instead of having you know open a box and you don't know what you're getting, we wanted to to come up with a product idea that that would allow you to get uh, exactly what you what you want. Um, so. Uh, so when you open the box, you know what you're going to get. Um, so that was sort of the start behind the um, the, the the core of the, of, of, of the game. Uh, also, another thing um, that is important to me um, is 
miniatures really need to have uh, a game with it. Um, so uh, we felt it was it was necessary that it wasn't just a bunch of miniatures in a box, but that it had a game uh, that went that went with it. Uh, one of the early discussions we had is if we want to just repackage uh, the original D&D Miniatures game, and um, one of the main problems that we had with that was uh, a replay value. Uh, one of the things that made the older game um, so much fun is, is it had this constant expansion of new things that you would try. Um, we wouldn't necessarily be able to, to keep up with uh, 60 new miniatures every three months, so what we needed to do was have a game where there was a strong need to sit down and try again with, with what you have. And that, that brought apart the sort of, uh, the, had the powers that, that those creatures had, uh, that they use and play. So the, that's where the, the, that sort of mechanic, um, came from was a, a need to have the, the sort of surprise of, of getting the card you need to the power you need to 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 win the game um, and so that was sort of the, the start of, of the design oh that's awesome because yeah, that way uh, it's not like by adding the, the random element it's not like you, when you sit down you know who's going to win depending on on what they have already sort of yeah. thing, I'm, I'm guessing so one one thing that 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 did you you asked about why why go diceless and and that um, that deck of cards is one huge reason why why the diceless uh, part became necessary. Um, one, I'm not particularly uh, lucky with dice, um, where I will roll you know. 10 d6s and nothing will come up over a three that that's sort of unholy right. amount of bad luck that that um uh, when i was working on this and realized that you could sort of suffer a, a double a double jeopardy of bad luck where you don't get the cards you want as well as you you don't roll uh the dice well you, you have bad luck with your dice rolls it means that, that there's a huge disadvantage um, and, and swinginess in the game. And it was really unsatisfying to get the card you need and then have it be uh, reduced or negated in power just because of a, a bad die, die roll. Um, so uh, after the uh, preliminary design, we looked into... We did. We were doing a lot to sort of mitigate bad die rolls, and then we just decided to get rid of the die altogether and um, see what that does uh, to the game. And, and the number one thing that it did was it, it reduced on some of the uncertainty of the play of the original design because you always knew that your card was going to hit. And then uh, as a result, that's why we introduced the um, the reactions, the the interrupts uh, that allowed you to. You know, block uh, block attacks coming in and and so forth because it was it was something that we needed to make sure that there was uncertainty in in the game that you couldn't completely predict you didn't know what your opponent had in his hand. Uh, is there right. Uh, so I think that kind of also explains a little bit because some people had some questions uh, during the review we did of uh, 
why it was as robust as it, as why why it wasn't a, a bit of a simpler system. And it sounds like part of that is because uh, you needed to have enough full certainty and uncertainty in order to make an enjoyable experience for the players. That's, one, that's definitely one part of it. Uh, another big part is uh, miniatures aren't uh, aren't cheap. Uh, I mean, you're you're buying. Yeah, I mean, you're spending forty dollars on this. You're ultimately two people are ultimately spending $80 for sort of the full game. And then there's even more um, if you want to get uh, some of the additional boosters. If if it was a really simple system, um, you wouldn't have the area to, to explore and it wouldn't be as, as compelling of a game. So there is definitely a need to have... Uh, more more complexity in the game. Um, so, on the flip side, I, I definitely wanted it to be understandable, and that's one thing where we try and have the order cards be, you know, short and atomic, um, so that they're very they're they're very simple. But when you start combining them all together, that's where the game sort of uh, explodes in variation. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit because there's. You can play it as as the pre-built set is, which is kind of like a pre-built deck in my mind. But then you can also build your own as you get more comfortable with it. So it even adds an additional layer of uh, wanting to come back and figure it out, it seems like. Okay. Uh, so I I know over the last few years that I've been in d and I've heard a lot of people uh, more than I expected, who are very big into the D&D miniatures line, and you were even saying that one of the ways you got in was into uh, a career in game design was by running events at Gen Con. Uh, has there been any indication about what the pickup has been for this game? Uh, in general, it's been doing well. Um, it hasn't been doing as well as, like, Lords of Waterdeep, which is uh, doing extraordinary. Phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but um it, it is doing well. Uh so um I'm I'm happy with where it is. Uh I I'm Great. Yeah, very very excited about the future. Awesome. And uh so most of us are are D and D players and we kind of approach this as uh something we would buy to for the minis, for our games mm-hmm. and maybe to play on an off mate or with some friends. Uh has has there been a like a clear there are people who play just Dungeon Command and not so much needing it as minis for their D&D game? Um, it's hard for me to say. Um, a lot of that stuff I, I find out more at um, at conventions and things like that where I'm if I'm okay. walking around and I see people playing. But I haven't been to any conventions since the game came out, so I haven't really been able to directly interact with a large group of people. So I've just heard anecdotal things of, of people getting it, um, but nothing nothing that I can say is, is really um, um, making it uh, stand out for, for that's why people are getting it. Um, most of the things I've heard are through, honestly, Board Game Geek, so, uh, and, and they're really happy, very, very happy with the game. So, so what I'm hearing is that I should start a petition to get you at the pack beast. That would be cool. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I know there are some people from the department going. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just it would be awesome to see to, to see you out there and to have you walk through the game because uh, 
I, I've seen you talk about Lord's Water Deep and stuff, and I, and that was just awesome hearing that from you. So. And uh, also, so one of the things that's also part of the game is not only is it minis for your D&D games, not only is it a complete game in its own, but you can use parts of it in the adventure system games. And I was wondering if you've heard any feedback yet from, about that. Um, when when the game or was, if you want to talk about that more, sorry. When the game was announced, uh, there was definitely a lot of people that were really uh, excited about um, the the adventure system cards, and that was a, a huge uh, selling point to um, quite a few people. So I think it, uh, it, it's pretty cool. I don't see a lot of people like mixing their Drow faction with Castle Ravenloft or something like that. It, but um, I mean, with once this. Undead pack is out. I'm pretty sure that that combo will be a little more likely to happen. But um, I haven't seen um, a lot of new adventures yet. But I haven't. Uh, I haven't actually been, uh, to, to be honest, looking that much right now. I've been um, more concentrating on, on unannounced games and D and D next and so forth. Okay. And uh, speaking of which. Are, are there products that we should expect for this, in the future of Dungeon Plan? Um, in the in the near future is the the um, Orc box, uh, and so that is the, um, the the Grimch box is coming out, I believe, in February, and that is uh, a very much like the the first four, uh, where it is uh, features orcs. Um, it's got two large figures. I believe it's an ogre and an owlbear, if I remember correctly. Uh, one of the big things about this set is that it is uh, entirely new minis, so none of these were have ever been uh, seen before. Um, so that's oh, nice. something I've wanted to do for a long time, and that's actually why the orc box was uh, fifth and not first, uh, is because I wanted to uh, have all new figures for the orcs. Um, I wanted a consistent look for all the orcs, um, and uh, it was it took that long for the new skulls to come in and and have it come out and be uh, the quality that I wanted it to be. Awesome. Uh, and one thing we noticed as we were reviewing the the different sets, uh, some people I didn't have all four, but some people did, and they noticed each set seemed to. Have it adds some additional rules or mechanics or concepts to the game, and we're we're wondering if that's something uh, you expect to continue to have happen uh, as, um, as new games come out. I, I try and have each set uh, be um, very sort of thematically aimed at uh, the the monsters that you find in it. So I mean, each set featured. Um, Two or three ability scores, and that continues with the uh, with the orcs, where um, the orcs have a lot of uh, they're they're tough, so you get a lot of constitution uh, cards. I believe it is also strength. I'm just looking that up um, uh, to make sure. Yeah, it's also uh, strength is another one of their colors, um, one of their uh, ability scores, uh, and then finally um, there are a couple of spellcasters with uh, a cleric and a druid. So wisdom, uh, this is the first band that has uh, any appreciable amount of wisdom. Um, so it's sort of the, the primal con and strength and wisdom uh, for, for the orcs. Um, so that, that sort of is the overall feeling of them. Um, 
the sort of feel is is similar to the undead on um, a, a relentless attack where these guys just keep coming uh, coming at you over and over. Um, but the orcs definitely have a feeling that they want to kill you and they don't really care what happens to them in the process. So it's a very aggressive uh, aggressive warband uh, in the end. Um, and yeah, it's 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 uh, a good one. It, I I think these the the undead and the orc box are definitely some of the best ones uh, that we did up to this point. Um, so it's pretty cool. Awesome. And is there anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about uh, with the game? Hmm. Uh, not it, it. It's hard for me to talk about any sort of unannounced products at this point. Um, so. Mm-hmm. There, answer he's asking later is, is the best thing that I can oh, well, so. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, the other thing is, there, is there a particular thing of the stuff you, that's been announced and, and you've designed that you're, that you're particularly proud of? With Dungeon Command? Uh, I'm, yes. I really like, um, of the five, I think the Undead Pack uh, is, is my favorite. Um, with the orcs being a close second, um, the now that, that undead is in, in in people's hands, I really love the interaction in between the lich necromancer and the uh, uh, sort of the zombies, where the zombies are really tough, but they're really slow, so they're really hard to get into position. But the the lich necromancer can summon those right up next to him, so that that's a, a nice sort of synergy where uh, it, it's really simple to understand, but it's really powerful, yep. where, you know, you have these zombie bodyguards for this for this lich, and I think that, that came up uh, really well. Um, awesome. Yeah. There's a little bit of that with uh, the orc set with the druid um, being able to summon, but uh, there aren't as many beasts in that set, so it's not quite as useful as the undead. The whole set for the undead is, is you can summon, so it's really easy for him, but the, the druid has it to a, a lesser extent. Okay, awesome. Well, I, I think that uh, pretty much covers our questions. Thanks uh, thanks again for coming on. Cool. cool. Good to talk to you again. It was great talking to you, too. And I will uh, hopefully see you, if not at, at PAX East, uh, I will hopefully see you at ChemCon. Uh, that would be awesome. Anything else you want? Um, yeah, I think that's that's good. Uh, I don't really have much else to add at this point. Um, okay. Thanks, Jeff. Well, it's time to wrap things up. But first, we want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight, as well as our guest, Tom McKembley and John Green, and the fine folks over at Watsi. Uh, Tom, is there any place on the interwebs that you would like to point people to to, to see more of you? Uh, well, to see more of me, you can always subscribe to my Twitter feed, at Ottawa Tom, uh, but I'm really a very boring gamer. Ottawa Tom? Uh, yep. Okay. And John, where can people see the, the illustrious works of you? <laughs> uh, mainly just through uh, through my ramblings on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at uh, Zur, H-Z-U-R-R. There's a lot of arguments about how to actually pronounce it, so I make it up different every time. <laughs> Beautiful. And did you know that you have an awesome YouTube channel? 
that's spelled with, but you you spell your name with an H there. Apparently, you didn't. H U R R. I, I no, had no, no idea. John with an H. <laughs> oh. There, uh, yeah, of course that's me if it's awesome. There's a there's a John Green that does a fantastic uh, series called Crash Course. He did Crash Course World History, and now he's doing English literature. It's really good. Cool. I'll take all the credit for his work. There you go. <laughs> and, if you, and if anybody wants to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the Tomes Bizline at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. I think the last time we had a phone call was a couple months ago. Um, so it's, and, and we hear those and, and um, sometimes we get them on the air and sometimes we talk about them and sometimes we don't but uh, we'd love to hear from you and you can find show notes over at thetomeshow at gmail.com and that is episode 207 where we somehow went all diceless like in any game but it still felt like we were playing 4E D&D while we looked at Dungeon Command in this episode of The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome I'm not a